Hello, and welcome again to Super Humane Vitae, this podcast where we talk about comic books and graphic novels, as well as those forms of media that are inspired by comic books and graphic novels, but we'll be looking at them through the lens of our Catholic faith. My name is John Kaminsky. And I'm Brendan Lyons. And we will be picking up Kingdom Come. This will actually be the end of issue two and the beginning of issue three, where we are formally introduced to the Gulag. The charming superhero vacation facility. I know. I'd love to see the brochures for this one. You'll Especially... never want to leave. Well, you might want to leave. Oh, they <laughs> what? They tore that page off of said brochure. Also, the part where they picture the exterior, which bears a striking resemblance to the. Uh, I don't know what they actually call the base, but like, if anybody's seen the Super Friends, the animated TV show from decades ago this is definitely like the legion of doom headquarters where the villains held their conferences or whatever conferences so if if there was by amarek oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's i i don't know i i almost have to laugh It's, it's a cool nod to that cartoon but the author i think kind of decided you know what there's some subtle ambiguity and moral gray areas but I'm doing this one for me. Like, I, I'm not going to hide what the audience is supposed to make of this prison. Besides besides the fact that it's called a gulag, I am modeling it very, very closely to uh, a villain's headquarters. And I think they'll get the idea if we just call it the gulag. No, too subtle. No, no, no. We got to... <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're at the Gulag, and there's a large populace. It's huge of the superheroes that won't get in line with Superman's ideals and those of his allies. It's interesting. So they do show some of the inmates being a little nervous or looking a little hostile towards the guards. There is a very brief caption or panel where we see um, we see Magog, and there's some indication that he's one of the few repentant people in this place. But moving from there, most of the people are less than thrilled if you haven't sort of gathered from the way we're describing it. But there's a holographic, I don't know, statue in what's almost like a town square part of the prison. I think you just call it a hologram. Yeah, sure. Very holographic statue seems kind of like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's just comic books, Brendan. There are contradictions flying hither and yon. But yes. Oh, hither and yon. Well, I saw the know, hitters. I did not mention that. I didn't notice the yawns. They spared no expense for this production. Oh, good. That's for darn sure. These holograms, very large holograms. I guess it's just Superman. I don't know if that's the only thing they have in a loop, but it's the only thing they show. And he's... You don't think it's like the uh, the more you know things? Like when you kill civilians in order to save civilians, you've actually killed people you're trying to save. Do, 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 do. And then it goes to Wonder Woman, you know, it's like, I will tie you up and throw you in a ravine. If I, I mean, hurting people when you're. (laughs) I'm imagining exactly what you're describing. And like it fritzes and somebody tried to correct the recording, but they just never quite (laughs) got that little bit out. And, and so their hand is laid bare. Yeah, no, it could be a cycle of different superheroes trying to give you advice on not being a menace to society. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine the advertisements they have in between too. But at the very least, we have Superman who is giving a moral lecture to these guys. He's trying to sort of educate them. 
and <laughs> nobody seems to be responding very well which is odd because when a towering holographic version of the person who put you in jail stands there and tells you what what you should do to be a better person usually you're you just lying enough to be like yes please tell me i know i do you give me something shiny to present it with and i'm i'm all on board now yeah the the hologram recording the the dialogue that it's giving or the monologue i guess is saying it's really very simple in this world there is right and there is wrong and that distinction is not difficult to make. Please understand our intent. None of you are here for punishment. You're here for education, which is an interesting thought because <laughs> it looks an awful lot like a prison to me. Uh, Mention the fact that he says this right, there's wrong. There's not, it's not that hard to tell the difference and you must understand our intent. Uh, <laughs> it's like, look, there's right and wrong. It's simple. Now let me real quick explain my intention in doing this. <laughs> obviously not that simple if you have to try to get them to understand your intent which don't get me wrong you should always try to understand the the intent of your actions but maybe you should have done this speech to a mirror first <laughs> but um pro tip hey you know he's superman yeah and i think it's funny because there's i think there's a lot of nuance that is explored within philosophy and theology found within the Catholic Church. I also think that there are some very clearly defined areas of right and wrong in morality. So it's not necessarily that what Superman's saying is entirely wrong. Yeah. But to your point, when you approaching it in a in a way that expects the person to already know mm -hmm. the mindset that you're working in, the framework of morality that you're proposing that doesn't that doesn't further any kind of reformation or repentance in the person so there's clearly a this is a, a flawed way of getting them to understand where they're coming from or to change hearts and the fact that it's a hologram i think that well i want to be careful here because i think there's a lot of content and media out there that can help with catechesis faith formation evangelization even. I think there is a temptation, as I've heard others describe and discuss, of leaving it at, okay, I'm going to put this book in front of this person, or I'm going to put this multimedia program in front of this person. And that will that'll turn them in the right direction. And I think those are all useful tools, but I think there is something missing if there's not that personal connection. If that makes it to a point? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I would say it was one of those cases of, you know, a multimedia sort of presentation or like a, and I, I don't, sometimes I use this, this term, not derisively, but in a not necessarily a hundred percent positive light, but your celebrity, your celebrity priests are oftentimes, I think, better at getting people in the door than it's not going to be enough. Mm. You know, I, I love Bishop Robert Barron and he'll help you a whole lot, but eventually you're going to have to have a priest that you can talk to, you know, somebody who, who gets what they're doing. I mean, so Superman can say a couple, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's even in line with what you were saying there, but you know, he is kind of being like the guy who's like, Hey, here's everything, you know, Gonna lay this out for you so you understand now do the right thing it's kind of like okay well i'm probably actually going to need to talk to somebody directly because while you can argue actually right and wrong can be very clean life almost never is so i'm not gonna i'm not saying that there isn't always going to be the objective best way to handle something that is kind of but it's just not always going to be that apparent <laughs> 
So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm kind of going off the rails here, but I kind of just make the argument that like, he's right. You know, he's right. There is right and wrong, but the obviousness of it is not always apparent, I guess. The obvious is it's not apparent. Who's being ridiculous now? Okay. Uh, so Right. And yeah. I, again, I want to be careful because I, I don't want to dismiss or to suggest that the different forms of Catholic media that exist do not help or do not, are not an aid to conforming the heart to the the will of god and the image of god yeah no, i didn't but. thank you i hope nobody thinks that you were saying that i, I didn't get that from you i this good, is, good. think it's more of an impl- uh, suggestion that a lot of this has to work in concert and yes. no one method of catechesis is going to get you all the way there as you can probably probably know just from actually going through official catechesis that probably didn't get you to be a biblical scholar even if you feel confident that, oh, well, yeah, I was, I went to CCD. I know everything about it. It's like, ah, you probably don't. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I still don't. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not the, sorry, I've got a screw coming loose on my chair and in my brain, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not the person to measure yourself against because, um, mm. you know, I'm still figuring this out too, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, I, I, I assumed what you were saying is just, you know, it's, you can't get everything from uh, from one or two sources. You know, you got to be fully catechized in a number of different a number of different sources of information. Right. So yeah, and I, and what we kind of see with the interactions in the gulag is that there's just the recording, so there's not really a person that there's not a dialogue going on. No. And then everything else is enforcing the barrier itself, or you know, the guards are trying to keep people in line. And that's pretty much what's yeah. what's in place. There's not there's not much else to suggest efforts to aid in actual reform for these mm-hmm. people. So yeah, it's um it, it doesn't it appears as though uh, they kind of have a half a mind to rehabilitate people, but the actual main aim is just either punishment or control. Uh, I don't want to say control containment. Yes. Because they are, I don't want to say control in a, because like, it's not like they're innocent of doing bad, questionable things, right. but it is more of a containment situation. So, which, I mean, it does, I mean, we could talk about how that reflects the criminal justice system in the United States. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that that is the case, but I'm certainly saying that that has been the case in, in some places and in some situations. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that they're not, uh, there's like kind of a sort of a winged sort of, yeah, okay, we're, we're going to re-educate you on how to do this correctly, but we're not really going to put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> so Yeah. So, yeah, moving from there a bit, we see that Norman McKay and the Spectre are privy to observing sort of the the large how do I say, cosmic figures in this universe. You have the wizard Shazam. You have one of the Owen guardians who essentially organize and supervise the Green Lanterns and a few other figures in the mix. And there's a whole debate between them, it would seem, as far as to what extent they should directly interfere or aid in helping humanity from destroying itself, since they can sense the destruction that's on the horizon. So there's that whole debate. And in the midst of it, we have Deadman make his way over to Norman McKay. Deadman is a 
character in the DC universe who was a circus performer, a circus acrobat, and he was killed. He died. And from there, he became a ghost who could inhabit other bodies temporarily, which I guess that's a whole other discussion as far as ghosts possessing bodies versus demons possessing people. And that, that might be a topic for another day. If we get into Dead Man comics, maybe we can yeah. jump into that. But, I do uh, have some interesting notes about Catholicism and ghosts, but I don't ooh. think now is the time for it. Also, I'm not sure where they are, so I'd have to find I did a whole presentation, actually, for uh, when I was volunteering at a youth group. I did a presentation on ghosts and Catholic teaching. Really? No kidding. So maybe we'll pull that out sometime in the future episode. Stay tuned. Sounds great. Anyway, Dead Man. So, yeah. In the meantime, we have Dead Man, who is a ghost. He's a phantom figure. And so he's able to see Norman McKay and the Spectre because he exists within that part of reality. And there's a conversation that occurs between the two. And Dead Man's kind of giving a, a short synopsis or cluing Norman into his, his life as a living man. But it's the thing that interests me is when they reach a part of the conversation where Dead Man says, I always like to travel. Used to be with the circus. I was a daredevil trapeze jack. Now I'm the agent of a higher power. Can you imagine? Wait, who am I talking to? Of course you can. No offense, Padre. And Norman says, Pastor. And no, frankly, I can't imagine any of this. Since seminary, I've been more philosopher than priest. In my church, I preach that God is not a person, but rather a force with many names. Dead men chimes in, like Ramakrishna, for instance. Norman continues, one that motivates us to master our own fate. I never believed in the old world notion of assigning a physical face to that force or its agents. But now, tell me, is the specter truly an angel? And Dead Man says, oh, absolutely. An angel of death. And he goes on to talk about how the specter has been bonded to previous mortal human beings, including a police officer, and having since been removed from that pairing, that the specter somehow has lost some kind of anchor to a more balanced sense of judgment or a judgment that's tempered by mercy. The interesting part of that conversation for me is just how Norman McKay admits to how he's approached his Christian faith, that I don't even know that it's so much that he's approached from a theoretical place, but it does seem like he makes God an abstraction or just kind of a vague conciliatory version that that's kind of a bit of this, a bit of that. So I don't know what, what do you think about that? Well, you know, that, that is the kind of thing that can be, it can be a danger of the over pursuit of the, how to put this, of the philosophical aspects of, of a religion or of faith. I think just as sometimes, you know, we tend to say, okay, well, now I'm going to take this on faith when we probably could think it through a little more. I know that there are some people who have thought through a lot of these uh, thought experiments and philosophy, you know, surrounding faith and religion and have just overthought it to the point of, you know, it's, it's really more just like, okay, well, all the rules make sense to me, but the supernatural is just too much for me to understand and it's like well you know it is too much for you to understand but that's part of understanding your place in it i think it is the kind of thing that i would imagine it would be very easy for a preacher to run into because you spend so much of your life trying to explain and help people understand god that it can be tempting to rely too heavily on the academic understanding of things and lose the sort of that sort of faith feeling that the sense you have in your 
heart, the more natural inclination you have towards feeling God's presence. And I get that because I, I know a lot of people who are very, very good, good and moral people who actually, you know, agree with everything that pretty much everything that Christianity teaches. But the because they've rested their entire understanding and agreement on the sort of scientific method of deduction towards why something is good or bad, they've lost a bit of the surrender to that higher power that surrender to okay but the reason like yes i figured out with my own brain that killing someone is wrong i know that's pretty straightforward but you know the understanding that killing somebody was wrong and that idea is in my heart because of my creation allowed me to kind of figure that get my brain there i think gets lost in the exploration of the intelligence we've been given sometimes and i you know i i'm not saying everybody or anything like that but i think that that's the kind of thing that especially somebody who has to has to lead people i think mm -hmm. if you if you get into the point where like okay the important thing is i'm leading people to do what i know to be right yeah that that's a great calling but it's not actually a spiritual leader's full calling if that's to get that's to lead people to heaven i mean that's all of our calling but you know like if you have a priest his job is to uh, help his flock get to heaven you know it's not just to make them do good things on earth but uh, you know i can't <laughs> did i get there <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I, so you're you're describing a little bit of how ultimately, from the Catholic's perspective, we're supposed to marry reason with faith, fetus yeah. et ratio. And so there's a lot of very good philosophy, Thomas Aquinas being the most prominent figure I can I think of off the top of my head. But ultimately, that needs to be lived out in a life of prayer and pursuing a relationship with God as we understand him as a, a Trinitarian. So God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I think trying to be present and cognizant of, of that reality of God as a, well, I guess I'm looking again at the, the text in Kingdom Come, Norm McKay refers to, to him as a force, which, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole complicated <laughs> <laughs> thing to go down to, as far as oh, yeah. well, God, God being outside of even that, not even just being a force, but the. Well, well I didn't want to outright say he was being heretical. It's giving the man the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I'm not, I don't feel remotely prepared to start getting into Thomistic ideas of God's, the nature of God in relation to existed reality. Mm. that's that's well beyond my abilities at the moment to articulate or explore um, well, the simple answer for that one is he is snaps uh, uh, uh. <laughs> for that I, I mean you know that's where he told us right right as fast as we want i am i had a good i'm gonna take a side note this is probably possibly heresy i don't know I oh had a, great that's a really goodly. fun teacher at villanova when we did our old testament course and we were talking about about that moment in the bible where mm -hmm. moses asks well okay well who are you what what's your name and and god's like you know i i am and she was she her interpret she was like now a lot of people interpret that as like you know i i'm i'm what always is it was and you know that sort of thing and she was like but another interpretation might be that it was god saying i am who i am get over it <laughs> like like the way she put it the way she put it was actually it's quite interesting it was like um i am who i am i don't have to t i just lit a bush on fire are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> like what do you, what do you mean who am i <laughs> do, you, do you have I'm a whole lot of like forces you can't see lighting things on fire oh my gosh telling you all about your life like what 
I'm who, imagining who am I? this this is a god who has some form of a New York accent and just like pretty much. really just not <laughs> not taking any guff. No, I'm prophesying here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think that's that is not like uh interpretation of that, but I thought it was an interesting way of looking at it. It's like no that I'm I'm God. I, I am who I am, dude. Like are you gonna listen or what? Yeah. So yeah, I think my initial kind of thought, and I, th I think what you're saying ties into it as well, but even just kind of God as, I don't know, I guess, I think sometimes committing to a very specific idea of God, like in the Christian context, can be frightening or hard for some people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is exactly what he's saying, but almost like, well, God's kind of this whatever's out there like borderline ag agnostic kind of conception of God where, oh, well, God's kind of some force out there and maybe maybe he is who the Bible tells us he is. Or I don't know, I, I could be going way off in terms of reading uh, into sort of how he's describing his experience as a Christian or how he, how he looks at God and who God is. But See, I was thinking, and I had to look it up to make sure I didn't mess up, which I, I, I think I have a little bit. I was thinking more Gnosticism, not agnosticism, but Gnosticism, hmm. whereas it's sort of a, I don't know, well, it's a heresy, but, um, you know, it, it's a little bit more of a, I guess, a more impersonal God. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. so there's like, because the, there is God and then there's like a lesser divinity that kind of, I don't know if that aligns with his many names situation or all that. But, um, <clears throat> it is a sort of, there's a term for it I'm blanking on, but that's sort of impersonal, like, yeah, God created the world and, you know, there's certainly an objective right because he created it, but he's not really, he's not that concerned with us. Yeah, he wants us to be happy, but he's like, you know, I also have planets over here, right? Stars and stuff, and I got to worry about Thanos all the time. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong guy. Apologies. That guy always yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> just makes Mondays even harder than they already are. Yeah. Am I right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good insight there. And I won't go too far afield with Catholicism and how angels are conceived, but the idea that the specter is just completely off balance or incapable of a fuller existence, or at least as far as his conscience goes and his judgment without being tied to a human being, that seems askew for me when compared to sort of how a Catholic would view angels. The idea that an angel needs a person in order to be more perfectly virtuous i guess yeah no is, that wouldn't follow catholic teaching no that's that seems like a fairly humanistic it's angel uh, version of it. it's god right although the whole non-corporal cor corporeal cor corporeal corporeal there mm -hmm. it is yeah. well he's not a corporal either but um as far as we know at least it's at least a first lieutenant <laughs> the whole non-corporeal aspect of him is I mean, that's accurate. Mm, right. But no, I don't believe there's any need for a angel in the Catholic Church to be a Catholic tradition to be tied to anybody. What do I really know about angels? Though? I'll find out when I get there. Yeah, there's an idea <laughs> on the long list of questions to ask. So, okay. Yeah. We well, could just do our last episode from heaven. Wouldn't that be? Guys, we got some stuff to tell you. That'll be pretty rad. <laughs> oh, oh, bringing rad back. Rad's, rad's definitely a thing. Yes. <laughs> 
and we've lost half our audience now. So moving from there, we have a conversation between Superman and Wonder Woman. And it's it's friendly at first, but they really get into a conversation about why our Wonder Woman, also known as Diana, is hiding things from him and why she's got a real chip on her shoulder. And she's insisting that as a warrior herself and believing Superman and the other heroes to be warriors, that they have an obligation to fight to set things right and superman is still holding out hope that there are other ways to solve the problems that they're facing how does he put it he says given who we are diana given the power we possess we have a greater obligation to keep the peace only the weak succumb to brutality so they have some different ideas about how to go about this yeah i mean it seems like an interesting statement coming from <clears throat> the hologram guy but you know at least he's showing some some flashes of humanity, right. which I guess he doesn't have to because he's not human. No, but, um... not technically. <laughs> but maybe maybe the hologram is kind of to that point. He's trying, he's trying to find ways that don't involve just strict, strictly martial law mm-hmm. in order to bring these rowdy younger heroes to heal. He's trying to trying to use ideas, but as we've said, how how he's communicating those ideas is not handled perfectly. And hmm. uh, there's not really a dialogue happening at this point. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if Wonder Woman has somewhat of a point. I don't know that has Superman demonstrated himself to be a diplomat. Hmm. I mean, because that's, I mean, he can punch anybody into a gulag, which is what he's working on. But it's part of the problem with them placing themselves over the authority of everybody every other institution is if you're just a just a fighter and not like a diplomat or something along those lines are you going to find a solution that's not punching harder (laughs) you know right to you know to hammer every problem's a nail and i think that wonder woman's being a little bit more honest with herself about that although i know she has some of her own things going on but i think she's being a little bit more honest with herself about you know i'm i'm a soldier like I'll catch them all and I'll put them, but she does have to then relinquish that to the authority of somebody who can actually try to make things better. If she's going to admit that, you know, I'm just a, I just beat the crap out of people. <laughs> right. And she's even at the beginning of the story, the specter describes her as a paradox. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she has in one hand, her training as a warrior and a soldier and in the other hand her training and experience as a diplomat mm-hmm. and so she she has this delicate balance that maybe in the past she's handled with greater ease or with more grace and made it look more effortless and i think maybe now she's struggling to sort of keep those in tandem yeah well do we know that she's been kicked out completely already uh yes at this point because it comes up in their conversation with Aquaman where she kind of divulges it to him and Superman's like wait what and I think it's in the scene I've just described where they're just kind of hanging out in space and lassoing mm-hmm. little chunks of meteorites yeah I, I think at that yeah. point they're they're kind of unpacking this a little more at that point so well, it's apparent I mean, to us now that does kind of speak to why she's okay with that she's that aspect of her I guess her authority has been taken from her more or less so she sees no need to uh well i, I don't want to speak for her but she sees no need to try to be that you know if, if nobody wants her to be that emissary that diplomat then she can still kick people's hindquarters 
So, and then I guess the question is, if, if Superman had the same situation there, because he was basically told that his his way wasn't going to work anymore before he, before he flew off. So, uh, you know, if he wasn't the leader, if his mindset wasn't, and the only thing they kept that he did before was brute force, they, you know, is, is he really capable of being the moral leader as well as the leader of strength? Was Magog right in that case? <laughs> and that does come up a bit later. Yeah, that comes to a head a little bit. So from there, we get glimpses of Billy Batson, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. And we see what what I'm taking to be systematic brainwashing and giving us a glimpse into what's been going on over the years to affect him and bring him to Luther's side of things. So between, I guess, fictionalized video footage depicting his, his friends from years ago being mowed down by superpowered individuals, as well as what I guess are bioengineered sort of brain slugs. Yeah, they looked like Wrath of Khan ears. Yeah. Slugs. Oh my gosh. You're <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's very much seems to be what we're looking at. Luther's just kind of uh really warping him and he's got Ricardo Montalban technology. Wait, what is that? <laughs> what? Khan. Oh, okay. It's been it's been a minute since the original con, not the one played by the guy who plays the same person every time he plays everything. Look, if if we're gonna throw down about Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm gonna have to side with with that guy. If nothing else, because everybody compares my mug to his. Why? Yeah, apparently there's some resemblance there. I'm told. Huh. So huh. you've never once reminded me of somebody stepping on a lizard. So I don't. You know. <laughs> when you when you position it like that it's still you're you are complimenting me so i thanks i didn't say you looked better than a lizard someone had stepped on it just said you didn't look like a lizard somebody stepped on oh who okay but i was getting a little worried there for a sec you came awfully close to to flattery all right well anyway so for the so for the record i prefer the ricardo montaban con from the I don't know, bumper car, catamaran. Oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not hearing this. Yes, wow. noted. If you noted. disagree with that one, yes. you're, you're wrong, but we can talk about that another time. Mm-mm-mm. So slugs, brain slugs. Brain slugs. Or worms or whatever they are. <laughs> Developed by Dr. Savannah, an old Captain Marvel villain. Mm. And um, I think we'll probably get into a little more of Shazam or Captain Marvel in the next episode because i have some thoughts to explore with him but we uh we have a fair bit of meaty content as it is this time around so stay tuned but suffice to say that that whole sequence always leaves me a little unnerved or it really just makes me sad because captain marvel is a character who as he's originally conceived is a child who gets the strength of an adult and then some he gets superpowers and so he has the earnestness and idealism that can come from youth this hopefulness Mm -hmm. and he has the ability to do something about it and to do good in the world and to watch him be corrupted and just broken down is i don't like it (laughs) i don't think the reader's supposed to like it in general i don't think it's just supposed to be me but yeah it's and i don't think you're supposed to watch that and be like yeah okay cool 
yeah and just kind of all right anyway so so yeah so i'll uh i'll just leave a, a lot of the captain marvel conversation for our last discussion part four of kingdom come but this gives us insight into why it is that captain marvel is being found on the wrong side of this conflict there's a lot of sides some yeah. of them you can make a case for I think we could safely say this is not the right side in any way. Generally, so. you can assume that Lex Luthor is not on the right side. No. Not. Although Batman thinks he's right. Yeah, it kind of looks that way, don't it? it does. Uh, yeah, at this point, we see that Batman is an ally of Lex Luthor and his humankind liberation front. Mm-hmm. He sees no other way to prevent catastrophe than to ally with one of his worst foes well i don't see any other way either well okay i guess uh that's that then thanks for for joining us on (laughs) stay tuned as brendan and i figure out where our friendship goes from here (laughs) but uh yeah so so batman's lending his bona fides as an alpha superhero but also his resources as far as the bat bots are concerned at the service of this organization you have green arrow and several of the younger newer superheroes coming alongside batman which i thought actually was a nice touch not that they're joining luther's side but the fact that batman has for a figure who's such a loner for a superhero who's a very shadowy and isolated figure he really kind of develops almost parenting skills like the picking up sidekicks and raising robins and that sort of thing and having some loose connection with the teen titans that are associated with people like robin he seems to be able to know how to connect with a younger generation so to his credit even though he is a complicated man in some ways and he can be (laughs) surly and not a people person he's good with kids apparently i think um for all his monetary advantages the fact that he did in fact have to work to earn most of what one would consider his powers may make him a better mentor than say the guy who fell from space and the planet made him magic or the amazon or whatever the heck happened to the flash or uh (laughs) he got bitten by a radioactive roadrunner or something like that i I forget how that one went down john looks like he's gonna punch me No, I'm just thinking uh, several things, one of which is, oh, wait, they are both owned by Warner Brothers at this point, so they could retcon Flash's canon or continuity, and they could do just that. Radioactive Roadrunner, sure. I, I sure hope they don't. Let's um, run with that. <laughs> run. <laughs> um, but, you know, Batman's history of teaching himself to be an elite ninja fighter thing. So, I mean, he learned to be being a great detective inventing his own crazy yeah he had a lot of money to do it but he still had to invent all that stuff and there's something against superman but superman by nature of his alienness and being on earth you know he is more than just being able to punch hard but as far as like actually teaching people to do things he's got a great sense of oh good well he normally has a great moral code and he's great at fighting people but batman's kind of the one who had to learn to do it, most of the stuff that he does mm. so i may think that might be why he's a good mentor also he's probably a sucker for an orphan i mean clearly he is <laughs> which is good you got a lot of money helping out orphans is not the worst thing you could do with it sure yeah and i don't know I mean, helping I mean... out getting them in Getting them shot by clowns, helping them out. You know, that's all the same in the end. Boy, you really know how to just... (laughs) 
kind of bright in a room. Uh, come on, man. I'm a Batman fan. Why do you guys? I'm not no. saying it's Batman's fault. Oh my gosh. Your child got shot by Joker. Not it's better. Joker's fault. Not better. You are enjoying every minute of this, I can tell. <laughs> so I don't know. That's there could be a future conversation about Robin and how yeah. mentorship within the context of Christianity and Catholicism is important and what that should look like. We'll table that for now, but just a, a little something to to get people thinking just that it's being able to guide the the next generation has importance and certainly in this story we see that that does have major implications so we do get a a brief cameo by martian manhunter and this is where we actually see some batman's true intentions martian manhunter is well i mean the name kind of is a little on the nose isn't it but he's a martian and uh stranded on earth and among his superpowers is telepathy and mental communication. So he's able to sort of sidebar with Batman without having to audibly communicate. And so they can, with some discretion, talk about what's going on. And, and Batman's actually very compassionate. It's clear that the Martian Manhunter has, among other heroes, also been broken down a bit. And we don't really see much more about him and we don't get a whole lot of details, but we can kind of see that he's not, he's not himself. Mm-hmm. He's so, uh, so Batman's very kind to him. Yeah, so we'll circle back a little bit to what Batman and our Martian friends are in cahoots about. But in the meantime, we have a brief look at the satellite where the Justice League has historically met. And things are kind of going on business as usual, but there's also a little bit of tension. People are kind of doubting whether Superman's up to the task. Norman McKay's actually yanked out of whatever dimension he's able to observe from from the Flash because as the Spectre notes, they've kind of forgotten that the Flash is existing at any given time between several dimensions or is moving so quickly that he's actually traveling between them. So there is a brief encounter between Norman McKay and the superheroes there, including Superman. And he tries to give them some warning and he ends up doing it by way of, I believe, scripture verse based on the quotes he's given. And he quotes, and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all of green grass was burnt up and the sun and the air were darkened. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And at that point, things get interrupted. So there's a, some alarms set off as far as things going a bit sideways with the prisoners in the gulag. It's at this point that Superman and Wonder Woman go to the UN. I noted the the passage earlier that Norman McKay gives because A, it's one more allusion to scripture in a story that uses a lot of allegory with that. But we'll also see how that actually ties into some of the conclusion of the narrative mm-hmm. and the ways in which they use biblical imagery in, well, I want to say in a new way. We won't actually know <laughs> some of how this plays out until the end of time, but they have a, a particular way of envisioning how those how those words come to pass. So they're at the UN and it's funny because actually this is the point where they do talk to the UN and they want to get their input or cooperation and oh, the U. Mm, now. Yes. Yeah, oh, now. Okay. Oh, good. Good. A little little awkward. (laughs) Hey, guys, we started a war and took a whole bunch of prisoners. What do you want to do about it? (laughs) Well... As as Superman and Wonder Woman are leaving the satellite, Wonder Woman says they can't help but know about the Gulag by now. And Superman says, then I guarantee they're wondering when we started making up our own laws. Let's go. We have to convince them that we're the good guys. And we jump to the conversation. And uh, one of the UN representatives says, flatter that the mighty Justice League has finally deemed the human race worthy of conversation. To which Wonder Woman says, there's no need for sarcasm, Secretary General. 
to which I, I think I audibly laughed at myself as I read this. And he responds, forgive me, we're simply no longer accustomed to being advised or consulted. Imagine our surprise, for instance, to learn that the center of the U.S. now harbors a meta-human prison. You insist that, hard as it is to believe, it poses no prevailing danger. That those incarcerated are fully docile and eager to acclimate. Is that true, Superman? And he gives an awkward look at Wonder Woman and responds, not entirely. The Gulag is a work in progress. And it goes from there. So this conversation goes about as well as you could expect. (laughs) Yeah, about that. Mm -hmm. Um, The Gulag part is true. Yes. Um, Prisoners, yes. Eager to acclimate. They're eager. I'm not sure if acclimation has come up yet, but. Uh... <laughs> We're getting to that part of the, our conversation with the inmates. It's a process, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this is really just a continuation of the problem with their reaction. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to harp on it a whole lot more. You've got. Right. You've got superpowered citizens and you've got superpowered people. And frankly, I, I don't know that world governments would be able to handle them. But does that mean that they don't get consulted? I mean, eh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, I think as a review, you can see how, how the UN would feel this way. I don't know. I It does give me some possible reflection as far as like, in, in what times in my life have sort of the series of events gotten to a point that it's not until those several steps later that I look back and I'm like, oh, the <laughs> I'm I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm trying to do the best I can, but boy, I may have made a few wrong turns to get there. It's kind of that cliche or or the idiom yeah, of 2020 hindsight. I, I think, think I zigged when I should have zagged a couple a uh, couple steps back. Yeah. So I I feel for Superman honestly because. Yeah. I think he's really, I think he's really trying and there's no easy answers. I'm not saying that all of what he's done is the best way to do it or good, but he's, he's not, well, I was about to say he's not Batman, just kind of letting prisoners get blown up, but I don't know if Batman really let them, but his attitude or his comportment towards that is certainly questionable. So at any rate, well, I didn't do it. (laughs) Well, you know. Bad, but bad guy's gonna be bad. Yeah. So Superman and Wonder Woman fly off. They're not feeling so great about that conversation. We find Lex Luthor approaching Captain Marvel back at the boardroom, mm. and he's telling him to basically cut loose. And this is a surprise to Captain Marvel because Luthor has pretty much done everything he can at this point to kind of keep him suppressing his metahuman abilities or his mm. his gifts. But he says, "Tumble down the walls of Jericho." I insist. So. More biblical reference in a superhero context. They're really having a field day, and so am I. <laughs> it's at this point that Batman wallops Luther uh, straight in the forehead, and things are kind of laid bare in terms of Batman's true intentions as his squad gets to work on this mankind or humankind liberation front. So, Brendan, you have anything to say about Batman's conduct well, at this point? I'll tell you what, because... I think I want to leave people with some thoughts that they can think about. It's always a nice thing about thoughts is you can think about them a little bit about, about cooperation. And I, I talked about it last episode, so I'm not going to go back through everything that is the possibility of co- uh, cooperation. We can maybe put some notes in. The extent to which Batman has cooperated with Lex Luthor, who we can surmise his plans are, are evil. There is always destruction involved. And so there are certain things you can't do when you know somebody is 
working on something evil and attempting to do something evil. So I'm going to go two directions here. One, I would think that Batman had to have known that Captain Marvel was being brainwashed in some way. He's not dumb. He knows that's going on and he's allowing it to happen. Now, that might not be necessarily cooperation, but aiding in the planning and aiding in the building of Batbots for Luther, it does kind of, it's questionable. The big thing that I actually want people to, to think about because this has implications on regular life, is knowing now that we're sitting at this point where, okay, Billy Batson is about to be let loose. Batman has known this whole time that he was there and under some sort of, I don't want to say spell, but some sort of influence. Batman has, instead of trying to do something about that, helped with the other plans of Lex Luthor. Now we are about to loose Captain Marvel, potentially. What is Batman's culpability in not having done anything about this? Now, one would argue that him just knowing that there was a possibility that Captain Marvel was going to be used for evil wouldn't mean that he acted to make Captain Marvel evil. However, he did allow it. And the question is whether or not he facilitated it, the extent to which, and then also how culpable is he? I'll give an example, and I apologize if this comes across as a controversial example but it's the best one i could think of for this situation if i remember back uh several years ago and in um the obama administration did an operation called it was called fast and furious and the atf kind of released some weapons to mexican cartels uh, and it was supposed to help catch them however they got the weapon and so the question was, now these guys, you know, they have the weapon. You could think of it as, uh, you know, somebody selling it or something more simple, like somebody posing as a drug dealer to catch the bigger drug dealer, but they still sell drugs. Or they know there's a drug shipment. Or, you know, actually, you know, a better example would be like if they were making the drugs. <laughs> you know, I, I guess th what, what it comes down to is he kind of, it, okay, so by not stopping something and by not by still working with somebody he knew was doing something wrong and something potentially hugely damaging, is he culpable for the end result, which we will see next time we talk? Does that make sense? <laughs> or did I ramble too much? No, it's it's good. And actually, it's funny. I'm only just realizing, looking back at the panel, that Bruce or Batman, I think, is actually punching Billy Batson and not Luthor, which is worth noting only because up until this point, the reason that most of the other heroes are so afraid of Captain Marvel is that they're assuming that he is in his transformed persona, his superpowered, because most of them, I suppose, are aware that historically he's transformed from a child into a man through magic. And so if he's showing as a man, then he's, if he's an adult, that he is invulnerable to conventional like if somebody throws a punch and they're going to break their hand against him right? or that he could snap them like a twig. But the fact that Bruce would punch him would either be an incredible act of idiocy, which it's, <laughs> I'm going to write that off because if nothing, Batman's a very intelligent person and he makes it a point of knowing his allies as well as his enemies very well. And so mm -hmm. he wouldn't be hitting him, I would think, if he wasn't aware that this isn't his transformed state. This is a revelation for everybody else. And in fact, everybody's like, wait, we're afraid of this guy for nothing. It never occurred to them that at this point, Billy Batson's grown up. So his transformed mm -hmm. and his non-transformed or mortal state look exactly the same. Yeah, which I would arguably raise uh, our, understand our understanding of Batman's awareness of what's going on. Right, here. So. exactly. It, yeah, it hadn't 
occurred to me until you were describing some of that. And I'm looking at that, that most, most of the clues in here would seem to suggest that he had a pretty good hunch that mm -hmm. this was a Billy Batson who could be approached or restrained in some way or otherwise held. I mean, even besides like whatever he could have done to incapacitate Billy Batson until he's rehabilitated mm -hmm. or something like that. It also, from most of what I've seen in the sequences, Batman's not really showing surprise at the lab facilities that are holding the worms. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not enough to sort of have a definitive read on this, but it all kind of seems to look like he knows more than he's letting on and he's allowed this to kind of continue to occur yeah so. and that's you know that's uh that's a question i would really like people to discuss right and i also uh, as a side note two side notes actually one i know this is not exactly a, a great example of discussing formal versus material cooperation it's a little bit of a stretch for that but i wanted to introduce the concept so <laughs> So I use this. And two, I'm not coming out against undercover police operations or anything like that. But I, all I'm raising is what risk and what potential danger can you tolerate in attempting to, say, apprehend somebody or slash supporting criminal activity? How much can you tolerate before you have to do something else? Now, Batman is our, has clearly gotten to the point where he's like, well, okay, I know everything I'm going to know. And that's as far as I could tolerate it. That might not be the best time to be like, oh, no, okay, we're done. <laughs> now I know everything I need to know. It might have been earlier, <laughs> but hey, discuss it. Tweet me, email us. I'd love to hear what you think. So yeah, yeah. that's all I got on that one for now. For now. Yeah, at this point, Bruce tries to restrain Billy. It doesn't work out. Billy makes a break for it. The bat bats, as it turns out, were always on Bruce's. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, it, they turn on Luther, and clearly the Batman always has his own agendas in play. Yeah. And despite Bruce trying to sort of calm Billy down and trying to talk him through and past the, the traumas that have been dealt to him and trying to get him in a place where they can reason with him, a batch of the worms breaks out and they get on Billy. Billy panics and he uses the magic word Shazam to become Captain Marvel and he flies straight out of the building and it's at, we'll, we'll fast Fast forward a little bit, but there's, well, did you have any thoughts, Brendan, before we proceed? Now we get to see. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the question from my, mm. we're going to see what he's going to go do. Was it really worth pushing it as far as Batman pushed it? Yeah. It turns out that Captain Marvel is kind of the, the turning point in this, this whole escalation. The gulag's a problem and it looks like the problem wasn't going anywhere. So, well, put it another way, the, the gulag's a problem, but that remained to be seen how that was going to be resolved. But then Billy Batson becomes this wild card who is on par with Superman in terms of his strength levels and as we'll see that becomes a huge problem and really just kind of turns this whole thing into a mess we have in fact there's continued problems with the gulag and a character called captain comet which i'll be perfectly honest i have a very limited familiarity with but apparently the author has a soft spot for him mark wade and so captain comet one of the guards is killed and this really just kind of provokes the justice league to more fervent action wonder woman really takes the reins on this and decides that Superman's just not stepping up, that Superman's not being the leader that they need. And so she leads the charge to deal with that. Superman goes into the Batcave, confronts Bruce Wayne, at which time he learns about Captain Marvel's involvement. And so he and Bruce have it out some. Superman's really trying to convince him that he's needed and that Batman's being more of a problem 
problem than part of the solution. Batman gets pretty fed up if he wasn't fed up already. And he said, you mean to tell me you never imagined it might come to this? Did you ever consider that a war might be for the best, that perhaps humanity's only chance is for the superhumans to swallow each other? And Superman says, don't give me that. The deliberate taking of human, even superhuman life goes against every belief I have and that you have. That's the one thing we've always had in common. It's what made us what we are. More than anyone in the world, when you scratch everything else away from Batman, you're left with someone who doesn't want to see anybody die. And so he's he's really trying to reach to the core of what he believes makes Bruce a friend and an ally, at least in their past. And so Bruce, you can sense that maybe Bruce is finally coming around and maybe not explicitly joining Superman's side just yet, but he does give Superman the information he needs, including the fact that Captain Marvel's on his way. And at this point, this is where Superman rushes to the gulag and we are about to enter the final confrontation. So also worth noting that in that discourse, Superman mm -hmm. said the name of the show only in English. <laughs> Super, superhuman life. <laughs> I didn't make that connection. So it's <laughs> yes. providential that we have chosen this for our first text to, to examine. So Tis. there you go. Well cited, Brendan. That's where things leave off for issue three. So we uh, we found that there was more to discuss than we thought. So initially, the plan was to have fewer episodes to cover this material, but we hope that this is allowed for a greater opportunity to get as as much as we can for the most. Part. I mean, I could I could probably even <laughs> take take more time but i think this has allowed us to get to some of the most germane topics or the most relevant topics to a lot of what figures into everyday life and within the context of catholicism so we hope I that like we're learning a good bit about how to do this so right. i appreciate everybody listening who's sticking with us here through episode well, i guess it's technically episode four because we started at zero right so oh boy right? <laughs> the count's getting complicated we can't even count so, at this point so yeah it's gonna be another uh another kingdom come episode which i think is good because i think we needed to talk about what we talked about so agreed so our next and final episode will cover issue four as well Final as episode of kingdom come we're not uh yes 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 <laughs> thank you thank you for clarifying we're not canceled no not yet give us time <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're hoping to uh, have you for many more episodes yet. And so part four of Kingdom Come will appropriately begin at issue four. And we'll also be getting a little bit into the epilogue for Kingdom Come. So until then, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. We would love to have everybody we can join us for this. And mm -hmm. if you want to email us, our email is letters at shvpodcast.com. And Brendan, where can they tweet you? Oh, they can tweet me at, that's at T-H-E-L-Y-O-N-B-R-A-R-Y. So at the library, and um, you can bother me there, or you can email John as the, uh, the main email guy. So I guess if you have questions for me, which I don't know why you would, but he'll forward them to me. Don't worry. <laughs> Absolutely. Or maybe they, they just end up in my private collection under my bed and okay. now. Or yeah, closet or whatever. <laughs> no, Brendan will definitely get any anything that you want to email directly to him. Uh, I'll, I'll forward that along to him. Maybe not anything. Well, yeah. Mm. Mm. Don't want to open that door too wide, huh? No. So, 
We'll see you next time. And in the meanwhile, strive for a life of heroic virtue, friends. Grow in holiness. Let's all become saints. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. <laughs>